0: This is a reading from the Old Testament book of Proverbs in the New Testament epistle of Ephesians. Proverbs 6, verses 6 and following. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. How long will you lie down, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. Your poverty will come in like a vagabond, and your need like an armed man. Ephesians chapter 4, 22 through 32. In reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth each one of you with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals... Must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome talk, excuse me, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. This is the word of the Lord. Sloth is tonight's vice that we're looking at, and it's often attributed to people that are lazy or unmotivated. Some of you even joked that if, the, if sloth had been the original sin in the garden, then we'd still be in paradise. But sloth is listed as a deadly sin. Not just a bad idea to do, not just unwise, but a deadly sin. I mean, is it Really, a deadly sin to binge watch reruns of The Office on Netflix and eat popcorn? Maybe it's going a little too far. Some people think sloth is a sin that is easily avoidable as long as that person stays busy. From the moment you arise to the moment you go to sleep, you stay busy. And so they think this sin is crossed off of their list because they do that. All day long, they're working. But sloth isn't simply laziness. It's not simply binge-watching Netflix. These are modern ideas of sloth that we have created through our lens of our life and not what the original authors intended when they wrote down sloth. They came up with the term long before we had distractions like Facebook, smartphones, and the Internet. Some people will fall to sloth and they're going to be lazy as a result. They'll do nothing. But some people are going to fall to sloth, and they're going to fill every moment of every day with something to do. Some people will shut down, and they'll simply procrastinate as the the prince of procrastination. Procrastination. And some people will shut themselves down in a different way. They'll stay busy, so they don't have to be confronted with who they really are inside. Some people avoid relationships and they dive into work because that's a lot easier than dealing with relationships. Some can continually try to earn their spiritual favor in another way through doing good works. They want to please God, so they keep doing and doing and doing, which is a false gospel. And some have diverted their attention to something of their choosing simply because that is easier than this. The original sloth is is not just the word sloth. That was something that was added later. There were two words that were originally used that were combined together for sloth, and tonight we're going to focus on only one of those because I believe it's the majority of the original author and also the majority of what we struggle with today. It's a Greek word called acedia, A-C-E-D-I-A, and it means without care. It means lack of care, You might know it better as apathy. Evagrius is the originator of the the list of the vices. There were eight when he came up with them, and centuries later it was combined down to seven. And there's different lists, so sometimes you'll see our list or or another church's list, and there are different lists, so there's not just one out there. But Evagrius was back in the 4th century, so in the 300s A.D. This is something he wrote in one of his journals. Alright? This is not modern day. This is back then. Some of it you'll realize were back then, but some of them are quite similar to today. This is what he wrote. The demon of asidia, also called the noonday demon, is the most oppressive of all the demons. He attacks the monk about the fourth hour, which is 10 a.m., and he besieges his soul until the eighth hour, which is 2 p.m. First of all, He makes it appear that the sun moves slowly, or not at all, and that the day seems to be 50 hours long. Then he compels the monk to look constantly toward the windows, to jump out of the cell, to watch the sun, to see how far it is from the ninth hour, which is 3 p.m., to look this way, to look that way. And further, this demon instills in him a dislike for the place and for the state of life itself, a dislike for manual labor, and also the idea that love has disappeared from among the brothers and there is no one to console him. And there should be someone during those days who has offended the monk. And this too the demon uses to add further to his dislike of the place. He leads him to desire for other places where he can easily find the wherewithal to meet his needs and pursue a trade that is easier and more productive. He adds that pleasing the Lord is not a question of being in a particular place for Scripture says that the divinity can be worshipped everywhere. He joins to these suggestions the memory of his close relatives and of his former life. He depicts for him the long course of his lifetime while bringing the burdens of asceticism before his eyes. And as the saying has... It's just an iPad. It's okay. It's Johnny's. (laughs) Back to uh, Evagrius here. And as the saying goes, he deploys every device in order to have the monk leave his cell and flee the stadium. No other demon follows immediately after this one. A state of peace and ineffable joy ensues in the soul after this struggle. So what you see in in this story is a lot of things that we struggle with today. There's distraction. We are so distracted. Some of you right now are wanting to check your phone. Just because I said phone right now, it's making you really want to jump into your purse or your pocket or just flip through. We're just so distracted in our lives. But that's not new to humans. We're discontent. I would be happier if I had that. We have discord where there's those people, you know, that if they weren't around, I would be happier. We daydream about things. And we also find that because of these circumstances in our lives, we start to have disdain for our current situation and think of a better life somewhere else. This is the core of what sloth is. It's a spiritual ailment, a spiritual disease, if you will. It's expressed in dejection or a feeling of oppressiveness and even disgust. It's a lack of physical effort that we see as a result of a lot of times. The lack of effort is a symptom of a deeper issue. Overworking is a symptom of a deeper issue. But what we see from sloth is that it's extremely powerful. And it's a serious vice. We also see that it's a vice that threatens our very fundamental commitment to our religious identity. It'll cause you to question God. It puts one's entire commitment of their life to God on the line. It puts it all on the table. It's an inner resistance, and it's a coldness toward our spiritual calling. It's a coldness toward our identity in God. Evagrius talked about disgust and distaste and sorrow and oppression and restlessness because the slothful person feels like it is a terrible burden to stay true to their commitment to God with all its daily sacrifice and discipline. You ever felt that way? This Christian life is just too hard. It would be much easier to escape in the slothful person's mind and just go away. If you've ever felt like giving up on your Christian faith because it's too hard, then you're facing the temptation of sloth, acedia, apathy. You know you're facing it when you start saying things or thinking things like, I just don't care anymore. I, I just don't care anymore. It's, it's not worth it. Just forget it. This is simply too hard. And if you're a Christian in Brooklyn, you say, forget about it. Then you remember how easy it was before you were a Christian. Like, man, I mean, I know I had some struggles to deal with, and there were some things that happened I didn't care for, but at least it wasn't this constant war within me. It's kind of like Matrix. I wish I'd taken the blue pill instead of the red pill, or whichever one he was supposed to take. I always get those confused. So laziness is not always slothful. But giving up on one's spiritual duties is. It's a serious vice because it undermines our fundamental base identity as one who is devoted to developing a lifelong relationship with God. That's what a Christian is. In Psalm 119, verses 27 through 30, we read this. The, the psalmist is showing a contrast between acedia or apathy And the devotedness to God's Word, we're going to see this in every line. And so apathy and sloth, you'll see, hinder our ability to meditate and focus on God's Word. And we see that here. It says, Make me understand the way of your precepts, so I will meditate on your wonders. My soul weeps because of grief. Strengthen me according to your word. Remove the false way from me and graciously grant me your law. I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances before me. So you see a, trans, trans, um, a transformation of the writer as he finally gets to the bottom of this. And there's this I have chosen the faithful way. I have placed your ordinances, your word before me. My heart is telling me to run, but your word is telling me stay. Thomas Aquinas said that the vice of sloth can easily be seen in marriages and friendships. The example he gave was the, a husband and a wife who have a, a heated argument, and in the heat of the moment, they decide to separate and go to separate corners of the house, and both of them are seething. I can't stand that, that she did this, and I can't stand that he did that, and then insert words here. So they stay separated because it's an argument that they've had before. They don't want to go back and go through the hard work of asking forgiveness. They don't want to go through the hard work of confessing and reconciling. They're too angry. If they do that, then they're going to have to give up something. They're going to have to give up that anger that feels so good in that moment because you're so right and they are so wrong. And you're telling me I have to give this up. You have to give up your desire to have your own way. You have to give up your desire to be right. You have to give up seeing everything from my perspective. Listen to me from my perspective. You have to give that up to reconcile. And if it's the same fight you've been having for years and years, you think, what's the point? We're just going to argue about it again. Who cares? The questions are this. That couple, that husband and wife, they, they do want the relationship but the question they need to ask is do they want to do what it takes to be in that relationship do you want the the responsibility of honoring the claims that that relationship has over you do you want to learn how to genuinely be unselfish well maybe tomorrow but for now They want to wallow in their own selfish loneliness. Acidia. All relationships have aspects of them that seem burdensome, that are difficult. You invest yourself into this person, and that is what it takes for the relationship to flourish, and that's what it takes for a relationship to grow. But in a relationship, it stops being my life, and it starts being our life. My choices as a member of this church, affect every one of you. It affects the body of Christ. But we live in a very individualistic society, and there are some benefits to being individualistic. Not all of them are selfish, but some of the selfish sides of them is we think that my life is all about me, and you cannot have a healthy relationship if it's not about us. It's through daily practices where we make thousands and thousands of decisions to honor our commitment to love. It's a lifelong process, and it can be exhausting. It can feel like it's never going to end, but it doesn't have to stay that way. You will be tempted to give up. You will be tempted to to face apathy, but as tonight's big idea says, you don't have to give up. And so tonight's big idea is never give up. Can you say that? Never give up. Can you say it louder? Never give up. We're going to give you two points tonight that you can write down and take with you. The first one is Christ gives us a new identity. This will help you realize, I will never give up. I'm never going to give up. See, the target of sloth isn't just a a broad category, but the target of sloth is very specific. It's the gift of the Holy Spirit and our new identity in Christ. This is what it's attacking. The Holy Spirit is empowering us to live a brand new life in Christ, but sloth tries to sabotage us by causing us to give up through believing something other than God's truth. Something other than God has given me a new identity through Christ. This is a truth that will keep me from never giving up. We'll look in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 22 of Ephesians. Paul is writing here and he says that in reference to your former manner of life you lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit and that you be renewed in your spirit or in the spirit of your mind. Renewed. And you put on the what? The new self which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. So Paul is talking about This is a a putting off of the old and putting on of the new. And it's not a one-time thing. This is a lifelong process that he's talking about. It's a lifetime of cooperating with the Holy Spirit. See, we're not alone in this new Christian walk. But God has actually sent His Spirit to live within us to give us power. By grace alone, we have a new identity in Christ. Through faith in Him, we cannot earn salvation. You can't do anything to earn it. It is the gift of God. At the same time, it is not correct. Okay? It is not correct. I want you to hear this. We can't earn salvation, but it is not correct for us to sit back and expect to grow in our relationship with God without effort on our part. There's a difference between effort and earning. Effort and earning. And there's a beautiful scripture that sums up this entire part, so I'm just going to read it for us, and we'll see the difference between effort and earning. In Second Peter chapter one, verses three through seven. Peter writes, "Seeing that his divine power, speaking of God, has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness. He's granted it to us. He's given it to us through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence." For by these He has granted to us, He's given again, granted to us His precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. Now for this very reason also, applying all diligence, now that's speaking to us. And what He is saying here is that you must make every effort You must apply all diligence as to what I'm about to say. So make every effort in your faith supply moral excellence. So in your faith, moral excellence. And in your moral excellence, knowledge. And in your knowledge, self-control. And in your self-control, perseverance. And in your perseverance, godliness. And in your godliness, brotherly kindness. And in your brotherly, kindness, love. These things that Peter mentions here take effort on our part. They aren't just going to happen. They don't just happen. We must effort to grow in our faith. And this means developing disciplines in our life. I read an interesting article this week. I can give you the link to it at some point, but I'm going to give you the eight points. And it talked about the, uh, don't worry, I'm just going to read the list. I'm not (laughs) going to eight points could be a long time, Um, but the article gave characteristics of people that never give give up in their faith, and here they are. Number one, local church. So you can write church if you want. They were plugged into a local church. Number two, they had a devotional life. It wasn't a perfect devotional life, but they endeavored to read the Bible and to pray. Number three, they had someone to walk with them, someone to share their burdens, and also to share their celebrations. They had people that faithfully in their faith would encourage them number four they chose to trust the bible you're going to be confronted with things in the bible and sometimes we misunderstand things and so we need to seek out what the bible is truly saying but when we find out that what we believe and what the bible says are different we must choose to trust the bible number five remember god's care in the past in the old testament they used to build monuments and altars and, and these special places to remember God provided for us, so let's build a monument here, and let's, let's remind, remind ourselves of this. So what are you reminding yourself of in your life with God's faithfulness? I feel like too many times we're building Facebook memories of what we've done, and we're not building memories of what God has done for us. Number six, they trust that when they are weak, God is my strength. When I am weak, God is my strength. Number seven, understand, they understand the value of faithfulness in the battle. This means they understand that when I'm going through really difficult times and I'm battling, people are watching me and they're seeing how I'm going through what I'm going through. And there's value in this because they're, they're going to be able to see and to witness what it is that I'm going through and God can receive glory through what I'm going through. So they value that. And number eight, this is the best one, they cry out to God. For everything. They don't have the flowery prayer language, but when they're angry, they go to God and they tell Him. When they're happy, they go to God and they tell Him. They cry out to Him when they're sad. These people are, have characteristics, or the people that don't give up have these characteristics. They cry out to God for everything. It takes effort on your part and my part to remember the promises of God. I'm not talking about effort to prove yourself to God. I'm saying effort to remember and remind yourself of the promises that God has made to you if you're spending more time investing in the cultural values of the day than you are in God's word, then you're in danger of giving up on your faith in the Lord. You're susceptible to the vice of sloth. If you surrendered your life to Jesus as Lord and Savior, then you have been given a new identity. And there is a war within us, a battle. And in sloth, What sloth does is literally divides us against ourselves. When we're slothful, we have chosen to reject our relationship with God as the way that we're to find fulfillment, and we choose to try to find fulfillment in something else. We reject the one thing that's going to give us fulfillment and say, not going to find it here. I'm going to find it over here. That means that we're trying to be content with less than we are. We have a new identity in Christ and we're trying to be content with this. We start saying things like, it's okay if I compromise sexually. I want to be true to my feelings. It's okay if I remain bitter and angry. It's just who I am. It's okay if I lie on my resume. I need to get this job. It's okay if I work all the time and I don't have time for God and family because I feel good about it. Remember the old or I didn't say old, but remember the married couple that were fighting? Loving someone requires thousands of little deaths of your old, individual, selfish nature. I'm not talking about one time, honey, I love you, and I'm dying to myself, and I'm giving myself to you. But it's thousands of tiny deaths. Sloth rejects that work. Sloth says, nah, I'm done. She can do the dishes. I'm done. Sloth rejects that. You can distract yourself from the effort that it takes on our part to be in a relationship through idleness, which is laziness, but you can also do it through busyness. But avoiding growth in your relationship with God is the heart of sloth. Just like you can do it in marriages and friendships, when we do that with God and we say, you know what, I'm tired of this battle, God, I give up. That is sloth. But Christ has given you a new identity. And so because of that, never give up. Number two, love transforms us. Christ gives us a new identity, and love is what transforms us. Slothful people want the easy life. They want everything on their terms. Slothful people want what I want, when I want it. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32 reminds us, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. So, Paul just finished his admonition to the church to put to death these things. He said, Put to death bitterness and wrath and anger and slander, etc. Put those to death because, uh, uh, put those to death towards other people because this, putting these things to death, is what Jesus has done for you. He's forgiven you of these things. He's taken the full measure of your sinfulness and then taken the guilt and the shame that is meant for you and he's put it on his back, if you will, and he took it to the cross. And he died and he bore that burden for you. So Paul is saying, who are you to receive this from the Lord Jesus and then tight-fistedly hold on to it and not give it to other people? He says love, basically, is what he's saying, love has transformed us into salvation, into saving faith, a new identity. And he says love also continues to transform us to live more as god's children phil connors is the epitome of sloth's resistance to the daily transformation demanded by love tell you that phil connors right phil connors is a character in the movie groundhog day you've seen the movie a few of you anybody seen the broadway show so the Broadway show, my wife and I went and saw it, and Maddie saw it, and Andrew, yeah, we went and saw it together. And uh, Phil Connors is, is the main character, and he's a, a weatherman, and he finds himself having to go to this small town in Puxatawney, don't ask me to spell that, I actually didn't write it down, in Pennsylvania, uh, and he finds himself reporting on the groundhog. Every morning, without explanation, he wakes up, and it's February 2nd, every day. He keeps waking up to the same day, the same day, the same day. And at first, he's shocked by it, and then he starts to use it for hedonistic pleasures. He tries, um, he does things that are very self-centered. He seduces people. He does about everything imaginable that you would think if you had this gift of no consequences, what would you be tempted to do? Phil Connors does it. Then he tries to up the game and seduce Rita, his producer. Over and over he tries, but nothing he does works. He's unable to do it. The truth is he doesn't love her, and she can tell that. He simply, simply wants to use her for his own pleasure. She says to him at one point, You don't love me. I could never love someone like you, Phil, because you could never love anyone but yourself. Ultimately, Phil goes into despair. He sits on the couch all day, watches Jeopardy over and over and over. He gets wasted. He watches uh, more TV. I already mentioned that. He even gets so desperate that he tries to kill himself. Several different ways he tries to do this, and he's unsuccessful. He continues to wake up the next day. He refuses to change. And then one day he tries a new tactic. He actually tries to become the sort of person that Rita could love, and he starts to genuinely care about people over time. As he starts to do these things to to be genuine, he starts to feel the real feelings. He starts to care for what's right, and he starts to care for others simply because it turns out it's good. And he doesn't do this for his own sake. His character changes on the inside, and eventually Rita sees that, and he attracts her love. But Phil was very slothful in the beginning in his busyness. He was robbing banks, scheming people. He was a busybody, but he was slothful because he was running from change. He was numbing himself, but he was also slothful as a couch potato. He didn't want to change. Resistant. Both of these instances are guilty of the same thing. He's trying to get what he wants without having to change himself or give anything of himself. It's not easy. I'm not standing before you as someone who's accomplished all of this. But detaching yourself from your old self, it can be very difficult. But don't give up. It can be very painful. But it's worth it. It can be burdensome. But you're not alone in your effort to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We are here with you, and the Holy Spirit of God is with you as well. It may seem easier, it actually might be easier in some ways, to quit and to move on, but you would not find fulfillment in doing so. One of the worst things that happens is that sloth, when it succeeds, it robs us of love, takes it away. And we are all created for love. This is what God has created us for. And so to resist it is to deny who we are. The slothful person chooses a slow spiritual death instead of experiencing the pains of a new life in Christ, the birth pains. They reject the one thing that would bring them joy. They refuse the one thing that they most desire. And sloth leads to the perversion. Listen to this. Sloth leads to the the perversion of preferring sorrow over joy. It leads to preferring emptiness over fullness. It leads to preferring restlessness to rest. You get caught in a vicious cycle and you crave it because it's familiar. I can't remember the name of the song, but it's, there's a, a country song, so forgive me for even quoting this. Uh, but basically, uh, it's, the, it's the quarter after one, I'm all alone and I need you. I need you now is, I think, the name of it. But there's a line where, I think it's the female character, she's, or singer, she says, um, sometimes I'd rather f- hurt than feel nothing at all. Something to that. It's not word for word. But that's the point, is that we get caught in a cycle of like, you know what, at least I'm feeling something. And Nancy was one of those in, uh, in Groundhog Day. She was one of the characters who she flaunted herself and her body because at least she knew it was bad attention. She knew that these relationships that she was getting into were, were bad, but at least she was being noticed and not ignored. Sloth leads us into those vicious cycles. None of those are, are things of love. Sloth makes you want to avoid activities and people that bring us face-to-face, face-to-face with our new identity in Christ. Sloth makes us not want to go to church. We don't want to pray. We don't want to worship. We don't want to read scripture. We don't want to do communion. We don't want to go and do that. We don't want to be around those people because our strength is zapped because we're not living according to our new identity. We're still looking back and we're claiming life over a a dead self and saying, I want to live as a dead person instead of in my new identity. I want to live by the old nature and not the new. And so love for others flows. This love that we need to have for others flows first through accepting God's love for us. And the commandment tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Mark chapter 12, verses 30 and 31 reads this. This is Jesus, and he says, And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as who? Yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. In refusing to accept God's love for yourself and running from it, you're also refusing to give love to others, and you're certainly positioning yourself to be unable to love God the way our relationship with Him demands. We won't be able to love Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the good news is for us today. This is the good news. What you couldn't do and what you can't do, Jesus can do. If you will simply come to him with all of your slothful temptations, or maybe you're in sloth right now, if you will come to him, he will transform that burdened heart to a heart that is freed. And he gives us this promise chapter, or in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Jesus said, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, you can insert slothful, all of you who you have had all you can stand and you're ready to give up, come to me, all of you, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. And that's a promise to claim, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus said in other um, scriptures, he said, take up your cross and follow me. But it's not the ones who carry their crosses who feel that they are under the unbearable weight. But it's those who are resisting the demands of love that feel oppressed because they've chosen to, instead of picking up a cross, they've picked up the burden of sloth, acedia. Apathy. But today, the Lord's invitation is for you and for me. Jesus is saying to you today, I've given you a new identity. My love will transform you. And he's saying, never give up. Never give up. Never give up. I never gave up on you. Never give up on yourself. But instead of running from me, come to me and I will give you rest. Will you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you would encourage us in our temptations, in our desires to run away from you when we should run to you. I pray that you would transform our hearts by your love, that we would realize that we have a new identity in Christ, that you would teach us the value of what you have done for us so that we would not be allured away from you by the temptations of this world. You are a good, loving Father who has never given up on us, and so my prayer is that we will never give up on us and never run out on you. In Jesus' name, amen.